grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We have them in the back. I want to look at a couple of different passages. There's, there's one story I want to sort of start with, but then move to another story in the Bible. And over the past years, I've, I've ran across um, this particular story, um, and it came out of a book that I was reading uh, by Mark Batterson called In the Pit on a Snowy Day. And it's an obscure passage in Scripture, and, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit I've never, never memorized these verses. Um, I don't remember them in Sunday school in the little flannel graph, and I don't think as any theological teachings that Paul would say, I want to use this and put it into my books in the New Testament. Um, it's just sort of tucked away in the Old Testament. You find it in 2 Samuel chapter 23, in two simple verses, 20 and 21. It's about a man named Benaiah, and Benaiah was one of those guys like, oh, I didn't know about him. What, what, what do we know about this guy? Well, I do know this. He was one of David's mighty 30 warriors. See, David had this elite group of warriors, 30 of them. Benaiah was one of them. And it says, we'll read this in, in verse 20. It says, there was also Benaiah, son of Jehoda, a, a valiant warrior from Kebzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. <laughs> That's it. That's all we know about Benaiah. Those two verses. And, you know, I'm reading this just thinking, well, it sounds sort of violent, Rex. I mean... Maybe you got to save those verses for tonight at West when you talk to the men, and you know, because the men like those kind of stories, right? But it seems sort of violent, but, and you're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, I look at this story for, for many reasons, and, and actually, you know, like I said, Pastor Batterson's got this book on it, and then he did a follow-up book, and so he's got two books put together just on basically this passage, and thinking, how can you write a couple books on two verses? But there's so much from it. And I think there's some, just some incredible um, insight in this because you think about this warrior. Um, he's in some tough circumstances here. And, and you look at this and this story just floors me because he took on odds that were greater than himself. Two champions versus one. That's, that's not good odds. Two on one is never good odds, right? And then you have an unarmed man versus an armed, and he's actually a giant Egyptian warrior who had this big spear, and he's got a, Benaiah's got a club, and again, he's outmatched, height and size. Not good odds. But then he, to take on a 500-pound lion, to chase after a lion on a snowy day and chase it into a pit, to me, that just sounds crazy. I mean, right now, if a lion entered this room... I'm not chasing it. Sorry. Love you all. Okay. I'm finding the closest exit door. I'm running from lions, right? That's what we do. That's why we go to zoos because zoos have cages, big, thick bars, right? We don't have to worry about these animals. And I think about this, you know, not only did he chase lion, but it was a snowy day and he chased it on a snowy day into a pit. Again, this is not good hunting circumstances, you don't chase something bigger than you into a pit where you are pinned against something and it's snowy, so it's slippery. The footing belongs to the lion, not you. Sorry. What was he thinking, right? Why would he do these things? 
Is it a bad choice? Was it just insanity? What was it? And I thought about this. Does, does God sometimes put us in situations so that we learn how to fight back? Or, or, or does God allow us to find ourselves in fearful circumstances so that we can discover courage? Those are the kind of questions that were starting to go through my mind as I'm reading this story. But I thought about this. His victories sort of built up his resume, which led him to the opportunity to apply for one of David's mighty warriors. I wonder if, you know, and Mark Batterson talks about this book, like David had this list of, you know, all these applicants and he's looking through and he's like, he gets the Benias, chased a lion into a snowy pit and killed it. Um, Benaiah, you're in, right? What a great resume builder. I don't think it went down that way. So what if opportunities in our life are sometimes disguised as insurmountable obstacles? Do you ever think about that? Chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day, that seems like a big obstacle. It doesn't sound like an opportunity to me. But what if those obstacles are really opportunities for God to work through us? What if bad things help prepare us for the good things? You know, are we looking at tough situations like Benaiah looks at a lion, an opportunity to chase after success, or an opportunity to run? How do we view these moments in our life? You know, sometimes I look at my life and I wonder, has fear crippled me at times and kept me from having a stronger faith? And some of you probably say, well, it can't be, Rex, because you're a pastor, you're up front of people, and you preach on things. And I'm going to say, no, there are times I have been crippled by fear. And I've not chased after opportunities. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. So I don't chase after those things. I don't think if, if I would have been benign, I don't think I would have chased after that lion. Out of fear. Out of thinking, I don't have a chance to win, so why would I even try? And then I have to ask myself this question, but what if my challenging circumstances in life are here for a reason and purpose? What if your challenging circumstances and things that you're going on in your life right now, what if they are here for a purpose? This is a time in life, I know, you know, it's May, um, as Brad mentioned, prom was last night in Wauseon, I think Delta as well, and it's, it, it, it's all around the high schools, you know, you got prom, graduation, you got all these things going on, you got students wondering what's next, you know, their seniors are trying to figure out what they're doing next, college graduates are trying to figure out what's going on next, uh, and they're hitting the real world, right, with a job, and then you got this time of year too, when kids are not making the greatest of choices, they're finding parties they should not be partying at. They're going to uh, places and situations in life they should not be going at this age. We've got spouses who are bickering with each other and health issues that are challenging each other. And, and we, we have all these circumstances. And what it is, it's like a big lion roaring at us. And we're trying to figure out, how do I parent? How do I do better with my, my relationship with my spouse? How, how do I handle this situation my, with my health? How do I, with my job, how do I? And it just seems like a big lion roaring at us. And all we want to do is what run in the opposite direction, right? Isn't that what happens when these things come? But what if these circumstances have a purpose? What if that lion's roar is meant to wake you up? What if those moments in life are meant to draw us closer to God? What if? 
Let's go to another passage. Let's leave the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament, to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Right past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In Acts chapter 16, Paul um, and Silas, and actually Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, are on a missionary journey, and this is where we find them in the middle of this missionary journey. They're on the second one. They've been to Macedonia. They've been to Philippi and, and, and um, Galatia. And now in chapter 16, we find them on this missionary journey. And we'll pick it up in verse 16. It says this. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer. You have to understand, first of all, there were not many places of prayer in this city. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. <laughs> it's sort of amazing. This girl, she was demon-possessed. But she was more of a source of income for these gentlemen. They used her as a fortune teller. Presumably this was because these demons inside her gave her supernatural powers to be able to tell into the lives of others. And today much of uh, what fortune tellers and psychics are doing today is a money-making scam. But we do know this, that when it is true, because there is a spiritual world out there, when it is true, there's no doubt that it is inspired by demons. When you drive by those psychics and fortune teller houses, understand this, that is not a good thing. But remember this, demons are created beings. They're not gods. They can't see all. They can't tell all. They can't read minds. They can't actually foretell the future. But they can read and predict human behavior and can attempt to steer events toward a previously predicted conclusion. They can't do that. But in this passage, it actually says, which we, if you read and study and look at the Greek, it says she had a spirit of pythona. Now, that doesn't mean much to most of us, but pythona comes from a certain kind of snake, a python. And it's used here because the python was associated with the god Apollo. The god Apollo was worshipped in this city. Not far from Philippi, in that very area of Europe, there was another shrine for Pythian Apollo. So it appears that this young lady, this slave girl, was associated with that false god. She was involved in that cultic action, and she uh, had this going on in her life. Now what's sort of ironic is that this demon-possessed girl was actually preaching for Paul and Silas. She was given a demonic testimony to their divine credentials and their message. Do you see what she said? These men are here to tell you how to be saved. You know, Paul's like, hey, yeah, thanks, right? But did Paul really need her testimony? She, she went on to say this for many days. It says she followed him around and she called God the most high God. Now understand something here. When going back to Old Testament... You go back to Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, it talks about how God, our creator, is called the most high God. Isaiah 14, Satan wanted to be like God. That's why he's kicked out of heaven, right? He wanted to be like the most high God. See, he wanted the creative power. 
He wanted the throne. He did not want the, the love or the gracious acts of God. He wanted the power. Because God is called the most high God. Satan wanted to be the most high. And his demons wanted to follow and be a part of that. So these demons sometimes possessed people and they would follow Jesus and other people around and sort of blurt out, this is what's going on. Let me read two different passages to you. One from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. The other one from Mark 5. Mark chapter 1, it says this, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When a Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and he began to preach. You can imagine Jesus walking into church and he comes up front and he starts preaching, right? The people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 7 say this. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs and met him. This man lived in the burial caves, could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet Jesus, bowed low before Jesus. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. See, the demons know who God is. He's the Most High God. The demons know who Jesus is. He is the son of the most high God. And they know when Jesus came here, Jesus interfered with what they were trying to do to subdue the earth and to make it even a darker place. So this slave girl, who is part of this cultic group, possessed by a demon, is following Paul around now, just like the demons followed Jesus around, and called out, this guy is working for the most high God. He's come here to save you. When you think about this, look at verse 18 in uh, Acts chapter 16. Verse 18 says, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, they turned around and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Paul was incredibly annoyed with this demon. And he didn't appreciate the free advertising from the demon. He didn't need the demonic approval of this young lady or the demon within her to give approval to what he was doing. Paul knew that a man would be identified by his friends and by his enemies. He could do without that letter of reference from the demon. So Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus Christ, cast that demon out of the slave girl. It happened instantly. Well, the demon came out, and you look at verse 19. We're going to pick up, we're going to read a few verses in there. Starting in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. You see what happened? They were using this young lady and the demon within her to make money. They didn't care about her. They just wanted to make money. And when that was gone, look what happens. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. 
verse 21. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. The city officials ordered them stripped, beaten with wooden rods. Now understand how the wooden rod thing works. One of the areas that they really beat was the bottom of your feet. They would take you, lift up your feet, shoes, socks, everything's off, and take these wooden rods and just like you would pulverize meat and try to make that all softened up, right? They would do that to the bottom of your feet. That was part of the beating of the rods, just the beginning, plus besides hitting the rest of your body. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. All because of what? They were just obeying God. They're on a missionary journey. We're on a missionary trip. God told us not to go this direction. He told us to go this direction. And in that direction, this is what they ran into. A demon-possessed girl that called them out, and then a stripping and a beating and a throwing in jail. All because they're just following God, right? You know, the master of this demon-possessed girl cared nothing for the girl. They just wanted to exploit her demon just to make money. And Paul and Silas were singing out because not only they were these leaders of an evangelistic group, they were, um, by their parents, they were most obviously Jewish. And this has indicated how these guys began their accusation on them. They stirred up prejudice on them with all the people around. It caused Paul and Silas to look like they were bad men. They gave everybody a wrong view of Paul and Silas. And what's the result? Arrest, stripped, beaten, thrown in jail. Now these charges were very vague. Simply accusing Paul and Silas of being troublemakers, right? But those vague charges were enough. Because the multitude, the magistrates, base now their feelings on a biased look against them. Bias because of their Jewish appearance, because they assumed Paul and Silas were not Roman citizens. So they went out, beat them, threw them in prison. Maximum security conditions, by the way. They weren't comfortable. But what comes next is simply what I would say, I don't know if I could do this. What comes next is, is what I want us all to pursue. What comes next is something I'm, I'm looking at and I'm saying, yeah, I, you know what? I don't, not only, not only do I think I can't do it, I probably wouldn't do it. But to pursue what they did is something we can't do alone. Only by the Spirit of God can we do this, and that's what I'm calling upon us to do. What did they do? Look at verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. They were just arrested. They were beaten. They're in prison for doing good. And Paul and Silas are filled with joy. And they sang praises to God. It seemed as if nothing can make them stop praising God. Now, I'll go back to what I just said about a minute ago. I don't think I could have done that. Could you? You're just being obedient to God, going to do what he asked you to do. And as a result of it, you're mocked, you're falsely accused, you're stripped, you're beaten, and you're put in maximum security. So what's your next move? I'm just going to pray and sing to God. No, I'm probably going to sulk 
and ask God why, right? Because here's the thing. Anybody can be happy in pleasant circumstances, right? But real joy comes from where? From within. It's a gift available to Christians at all times. Pastor Stott said, instead of cursing men, they blessed God. That's amazing, right? They were in a bad place, but you know what they still had? They had a choice. We tell this to people all the time. You, you can't change circumstances around you, right? What, what can you control? Attitude, your effort, right? Your body language. You can, you can choose all that. They still had a choice. Someone can hurt you. Someone can leave you. Something uh, may come along and take away everything you own. But you know what people and circumstances cannot take? They cannot take your salvation. They cannot take your joy. The joy of Jesus Christ. That's yours to keep. Regardless of the circumstances around you. And Paul and Silas are probably sitting in that prison going, you know what? We've had everything taken away from us. But you know what we still got? We got a relationship with Jesus Christ. We still have a joy within us. That's eternal. You know, what could they have done in prison? Well, let's think about this. What would we have done? I would have one complained, right? Don't we do that when when we're in bad circumstances? What do we do? We complain. I can't believe this. We save a slave girl. We follow God's will for us. And this is what we get? I thought this was supposed to be a good thing. Or maybe we reminisce. We sort of think back, sitting there in the prison. You know what? Maybe we should have never come here. I really liked Galatia. You know, the province of Asia was wonderful. If we just go back, yeah. Maybe it was blame. They sat there and they started thinking about who can we blame? Because it wasn't our fault that, you know, this is happening. These people don't get it. You know, it's the governor's fault. These people are just following his lead, and he's a bad leader. So these people, I get what they did, but he should have, he should have stopped it. We're blaming, we're blaming the one in charge. And these people, they just aren't ready to receive God's word. Why would God send us here? We start blaming people, right, for everything that goes wrong in our life. Or maybe we just question, God, why? Why send us here? Doesn't God want us to be happy and blessed and successful? It's not really in the Bible, but we think that it is. So, so why, right? They could have done all those things, but what did they do? They prayed and they sang songs to God. <laughs> of course, that's what they did, right? That's what all believers do when things aren't going right, right? This week, if I were to take a poll and say, how many of you were in a circumstance where it wasn't the best circumstance? You, you, didn't, you had one of those bad days. You had a no good, terrible, bad day, right? And, and maybe something happened, or maybe it's over this past month. And let me ask, how did you respond to that? Were you like, oh, praise God, let's just sing right now. Yeah, I just got a flat tire, you know. Uh, I just found out some horrible news from my doctor. Let's just pray and sing to God. That's what all Christians do, right? No, we don't do that, do we? Now, some of you, if you do, I want to know when this is going on in your life. I want to watch it happen. I want to learn from you because uh, it sounds like you're pretty, really tight with Jesus right now. But isn't that what we're supposed to do, right? When life takes a bad turn, when things don't make sense, when you get stripped, beaten, tossed, and jugged because you love Jesus, that's what you do, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And it's so hard, isn't it? 
to pray when things aren't going well, to sing songs when things aren't like you hoped they would be. But the bottom line is, that's what Paul and Silas did. They worshiped God. We read this and think, how did they do this? And I honestly don't know if I could have done that. Matter of fact, I know I couldn't have done that. But could it be in those moments that's what God's calling us to do? Isn't that what we need to do? More intentional worship time? I mean, that's what it was. They basically said, hey, let's just have church. (laughs) We need to worship. You know what they did? They recognized in that horrible circumstance, blaming, whining, complaining, questioning was not going to change anything. Right? How many of us, after we've sat around and complained, things got better? You know, not that I've complained for a day. Life changed. It got better. It doesn't, does it? They recognize what they need to do, and that's what we need to do too. We need to recognize, you know what I need to do in this moment? I need to have, just a, I need to have a moment of worship. I just need to go worship God. And you know what? I, maybe I don't feel like I want to worship. I need to worship. We cannot let our feelings dictate our behavior. They worship God. And here's the thing. I don't know if you realize this, but Sunday is only one day out of the week, right? We only have one opportunity every week to do this, to come together and sing together as a church family. This is your only shot. So if you decide to do something else on a Sunday, you aren't going to be able to do it the rest of the week with us. That's why that worship time is so important. So what do we do on those other days? I want to encourage you to have your own little worship time. Nothing beats gathering with the with the best of, or the rest of the Christian brothers and sisters, right? But when you're home and when you're struggling, I want to encourage you to have a time of worship. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you to start your day off with worship because you have no idea what's coming your way. I don't either. But I know this, to make it through every day, I need to remind myself who God is. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's the thing about worship. Worship isn't for me, right? It isn't for you. Worship is for God. We worship God. But I do know this, that when I worship God, something happens to me too. Let me give you these three thoughts about worship real quick. First of all, it, it refocuses me. Okay? Because it, it, there's things that I'm facing in my life. It, it's a problem. But here's the thing. Worship helps me refocus. See, that problem as a problem, but as potential. I don't longer see it as a situation, but I see my Savior. Um, that's, that's how I look at it. You know, I, I see in my circumstances, I see Christ. Worship helps me refocus. Worship helps free me. It leads me to a point where I need to repent of my sins. It reminds me of God's gift of grace to me. And it frees me. And then it energizes me. I got a little more you know, step going in, inside of me. I'm walking in step with God's spirit. And I know this, when life gets tough, I know the tough have to start worshiping God. When, you know, what a strange sound this was and had to be for these other prisoners, right? Because they're in their cells and they hear Paul and Silas singing. Probably not that song, but they were singing. Could they have been singing a song like Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Could they have sang that song? I don't know what song they sang, but they sang and they praised God at midnight in the midst of a brutal prison. Look what happens in verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prisoners was shaken, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. 
All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. He ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This earthquake was clearly supernatural. But not only did the walls shake and the timing and the location, but the chains fell off. How many earthquakes do the chains fall off of a prisoner? You've probably heard right now in Hawaii, they've had some massive earthquakes going on. And we've been asked to pray for, we have a missionary church has some churches over in Hawaii and on some of those islands. And uh, they said there within a 24-hour period, there was 100 earthquakes within a 24-hour period on the one island. Um, be praying for them. It's a scary thing. And that was scary for these prisoners that the, the whole jail shook. The, the, the jailer thought everybody was escaping. He was ready to pull a sword, kill his life because he knew this. He was going to be killed anyway. You let any prisoner free, by law, you would be executed. He thought they were all gone. So you might as well go ahead and do the job ahead of time, right? And Paul shouts out with a loud voice saying, Stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. He assured the jailer that nobody had escaped. And it would have been easy for, for Paul and Silas to sit there and say, look how God just answered prayer. We are free. God's awesome. But what did they do? They stayed in the prison and say, no, no, no. What was our purpose? To save people, right? To lead people into relationship with Jesus Christ. So what did they do? They stayed in their cell. They reassured the jailer, hey, we're still here. We want to tell you, about what it means to know Jesus Christ. Before they could do that, the jailer fell to his knees and repented, right? Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer's now asking them, What must I do to be saved? Remember what the demon girl said? These men have come here to tell people how to be saved. And look what they're doing. Here's the jailer, who would probably just beat them, put them in prison, right? And now he's on his knees, trembling, asking how to be saved. Isn't it amazing how God works? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with them and all who lived in the household. This jailer was so impressed by Paul and Silas and by the love they showed to him and from the ability to take joy even in the midst of misery that they, he instantly wanted that kind of life that Paul had and Silas had. I mean, that's how God wants our lives to be as Christians, I believe, where we are natural magnets drawing people to God. Our Christianity should make others want to have what we have with God. People should look at us Christians and say, I want that. Where are you going to church? What are you reading? What's going on in your life? Paul's answer to the keeper of the prison is just a classic statement of the essence of the gospel. Salvation is by grace alone. Received by faith alone, you believe. Look at verse 38. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he, he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What an incredible ending to that story. An incredible ending. The same jailer who punished them now cared for them. The one who was actually thought he was free was shackled by sins, and now he is free too. Tough situation led to a choice.
for Paul and Silas. And the choice was, we're going to worship God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And while they're making their way here, I was just thinking about this. That result was a miraculous jailbreak, but it wasn't about the prison bars. It was about sin that they were free from. When have you found yourself in a fearful place? What is your choice in those moments? Do you attack the lion? I mean, let's go back to the first story of Benaiah. In a pit on a snowy day. And he goes in and chases a lion. We would never do that. Because we are looking for a safe situation. What if your situation today is like that? You're looking at what you're facing right now and it's fearful. And it's scary. And you don't like it. In that moment, I would encourage you to be like Paul and Silas, who was in a tough circumstance. To be like Beniah, who was in a tough circumstance. Beniah chased the lion. Paul and Silas, they worshipped. They knew who had control of their life. You know, we love to talk about proud moments in our kids as a parent, right? As a parent, oh, my kid won this, and my kid got a trophy, first place, whatever, and great moments. And, and with Carter graduating, this is his senior year, I was thinking back, what are some of my proudest moments of Carter as he's graduating from high school? I don't know if last night was one of them. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. But, um, but I was thinking back on this and a lot of good moments. But you know, my, my most proud moment for my son was like he was in kindergarten, I think, around that age. And we were in Wakarusa, Indiana at the Maple Syrup Festival. And he is a very, you may not understand this, but he's a very shy kid, a very quiet kid. He doesn't want any attention brought to himself. He's, as much as you might think that's strange, it is true. And at that point in time, he, we were walking through the streets of Wakarusa. It's, it'd be like the size of Delta. And they're doing a little tractor kiddie pool, little pedal tractors, you know, and they had weights tied onto the back of them. And he goes, I want to do that. And Jenny and I looked at each other like, he what? He never wants to do anything. He's so quiet, so shy. And you know, you know, these are little kids there, a bunch of little Amish boys, okay? And these guys could pull a dead horse, you know? <laughs> and Carter's going to try to pull like 50 pounds behind a little toy tractor, you know? And so he gets on there and he pedals and he does the first wave. And then all these other kids, no problem, no problem. Then he gets on and he struggles and he couldn't really pull them very far. And then these other little Amish boys, they get on, and they keep adding the weights, you know? And then they're pulling the whole town across. But he didn't win, didn't even come close. But you know why that was such a proud moment for me? Because he chased fear. He chased the lion. He, he did something that as a, as a parent, I'm thinking, oh, he would never do that. But he went for it. He didn't worry about failure. He knew he probably wasn't going to win, but he chased failure anyway. How many times in life do we do that? You know, we get older and we become a little more guarded and we don't want to chase failure. We don't want to chase the lion. We look at our circumstances around us and we think we're imprisoned. We all have tough circumstances. But what if those circumstances have a purpose of drawing us closer to God? What if those circumstances are meant to draw us to a higher power? Learn to worship instead of worry. Like Paul and Silas, crank up the music, start worshiping God no matter what your circumstances are. And I want to encourage you today, when the lion roars, when the circumstances just, just reek with worry, strike up the band, turn up the music, worship God. I get it. You, the, the shackles may not fall off of you right away, but you're heading in the right direction. Let God take care of this. 
He's got it. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to refocus on you. We need to be free from sin and worry. We need to be filled with your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for Benaiah who chased the lion and for Paul and Silas who sat in a prison. And in those circumstances where they could have worried and been fearful, they just, they just went after it. Paul and Silas chased you. They worshipped you. And in those moments when they could have complained, they could have been worried, they could have been fearful, they went after you and just worshipped you. So God, this week, Lord, help us remember this week, every day, let's just wake up, let's worship you. Let's start the day with worship. The circumstances around us may not change in a moment. They may not change overnight. They may not change in a year. But we know you have the power to do that. So we trust you for that. God, we love you. We want to sing to you now, just like Paul and Silas did. In my name we pray. Amen.